this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Holy Spirit, we love you and we thank you. Lord, that you meet and minister to us. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. Lord, I'm asking, even as we continue forth in service this morning, that it would come alive to us like never before, or that it would challenge and shape us, and that you would receive glory as a result. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to bring you glory. So we're asking that your word do what you designed and intended for it to do. Lord, to change our hearts. Lord, bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we've been exploring what the fear of the Lord is throughout our teaching on Sunday mornings and on Sunday evenings. Primarily on Sunday mornings, we've been kind of expounding on what the fear of the Lord is, how it kind of plays into our everyday life, why we should fear the Lord. Um, And then on Sunday evenings, I've kind of taken an approach of teaching practical tips on how we can grow in the fear of the Lord. And I feel like uh, this morning is kind of kind of be a marriage of those of those themes in a in a teaching that the Lord has kind of led me to and in one verse in particular that kind of sprung this on. But if you remember last week as we examined the blessings that are reserved for those that fear God, right? I had a I had seven blessings that uh, that existed for those that fear God. There's far more than seven, but we just looked at a couple quick ones and promises of Scripture. One of those was uh, one of those was twofold, and it was wisdom and knowledge. If you guys remember correctly, and we talked about even the difference that exists between wisdom and knowledge. Right? We understand that knowledge without wisdom can actually be deadly. <laughs> knowledge without wisdom is actually not a good thing, right? We've been around those people that know a lot, right? <laughs> we call them uh, know-it-alls, right? They know everything there is to know about everything, but they don't know how to apply it. <laughs> and they don't know when it's an appropriate time to shut up. <laughs> Anybody have friends like that? Or maybe they're not friends. Maybe you just know people like that, <laughs> Right, because even Scripture tell us tells us that knowledge puffs up. That's what Paul tells us, right? There is something about knowledge when it's not married with wisdom that elevates one's spirit and actually enters into the arena of pride. And pride is one of those things that God hates. And whereas on the flip side, when we see wisdom talked about in Scripture, it's always married with humility. And uh, it's something important for us as we learn to fear the Lord and we walk in this knowledge of fearing God, it's going to be married with wisdom and knowledge, but uh, it's not something that is uh, kind of perpetuated just by knowing something. It's not just by having this intellectual knowledge. It's having a knowledge of God for who He is. And when we have that, it's married with wisdom, which deters pride. So anyway, um, I, really, I really kind of was thinking about all of these things, and uh, 
I'd like to dive a little bit further into these notions of wisdom and knowledge and pride and its antagonists this morning, humility, um, and it, what they all exactly have to do with the fear of the Lord. Um, I think it's important to note as we kind of look at all of these, when we look at wisdom, when we look at humility, uh, even when on the flip side we look at pride, when we look at, uh, when we look at knowledge and we look at the fear of the Lord, they're all interconnected. They're all correlated. In fact, it's very hard to find a scripture that speaks on the fear of the Lord that doesn't speak about one of those things that I just mentioned. They're very much uh, related to one another. And so as we study one, we're naturally going to come across the other. And so I'm excited to kind of see how this web comes together and the importance for us to have a, a healthy understanding of all of these things if we're going to be a people that fears God, right? A little bit of review we talked, and I, I just made it kind of a commitment to review a few aspects about what the fear of the Lord actually is each time we talk about it. The fear of the Lord is not just being scared of God, and it's not just uh, holding him in honor. It's more than both of those things. It's, it's a holy fear of displeasing the one that we love, right? We never want separation to come in between us and God. Yes, we worship him. Yes, we hold him in high regard. Yes, we're filled with awe and we're filled with wonder and we're filled with majesty. And there is a terrifying aspect of who he is, but it's not the same as us being afraid of him and being afraid of his judgment, right? We understand those that fear God need not be afraid. And so there's a lot into that and a lot to unpack. But as we're talking about this healthy trait that Scripture defines as the fear of the Lord, we understand it as loving God so dearly that we want to honor him and we never want to displease him. And so when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, that's what we're talking about. But uh, in continuation of our teaching on the fear of the Lord, I felt one passage of scripture highlighted above everything else as I was uh, studying and preparing and wondering what God wanted us to kind of tackle next. And that was the topic of humility. And he led me to Proverbs 22.4. So if you guys want to turn with me there, uh, it says in the NIV, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Notice I didn't actually put this in my message last week when I talked about the blessings that are associated with the fear of the Lord because this one is like so like bam in your face and I knew that we were going to tackle it at some point in time. But there is actual blessing and there's promises of God reserved for those who fear the Lord and their, their riches, their honor, and their life. And we're going to talk about a little bit of those this morning. But I thought it was interesting, and I, I, I imagine some of us have different translations of the Bible here this morning. Um, I don't know, how many of you guys might have an NIV with you that actually say, it, like, I read it? And so, one person... That means the rest of you probably have a translation that words it just slightly different. It might say humility 
and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and a long life, maybe. Um, but some variation of this. I chose the NIV because I believe it actually is the closest representation to what the actual Hebrew means here for this, uh, for this passage of Scripture in Proverbs 22.4. So when I ever come across a passage of Scripture, and I'm examining it through multiple translations, and there's kind of a, a big enough difference for me to take note of, I like to go back to the Hebrew and find somebody that's way smarter than me, because I don't pretend to be a Hebrew scholar. Um, <laughs> I, I, my knowledge is very limited, um, but I try to find people that are smarter than me and see what they agree upon most. And so as I was looking through different uh, commentators and Bible scholars and expositors on this particular, uh, on this particular verse, I, I came across a recurring theme that came up in almost every commentary that I read and almost every historian that took note of it. And they actually said that uh, the translation here is pretty loose. And most people hold to the viewpoint um, most of these scholars actually say something along the lines that it should be rendered as the reward of humility, which is the fear of the Lord, is a better translation. Or uh, Jarki, um, he's a famous Bible, um, uh, kind of a Hebrew scholar. He, he notes it as this, because of humility, the fear of the Lord comes. And so I believe an appropriate representation of this passage of Scripture uh, would be tied to the fact that humility brings about the fear of the Lord, which would further reiterate the truth that I kind of hinted at a few minutes ago, that if we're to grow in humility, we're, we're naturally going to grow in the fear of the Lord. In the same way that wisdom and the fear of the Lord and humility are all connected, you cannot grow in one without growing in the other. And so um, we're going to kind of look at how all this plays together and how it all interconnects, and it's something that I'm excited about. There is the inescapable reality that those who fear the Lord will walk in humility. Wisdom, humility, and the fear of the Lord are all correlated. And Proverbs reiterates this truth again and again and again and again and again and again, and you get my point. <laughs> in fact, uh, King Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, uh, you don't escape it in any of his other writings as well. When you're reading Ecclesiastes, you see this same theme reiterated again that if you're wise, you will fear God. <laughs> and wisdom is married to humility. They're all interconnected. You cannot grow in one of these areas without growing in them all. And you cannot um, be lack in one of these areas and strong in the other. I believe as you grow in one, you'll grow in the other. And if you have a deficiency of humility, or i.e. if you're prideful, it's going to directly impact the state of what regard you have for the Lord, i.e. the fear of the Lord, and that will diminish in your life as well. And so we're going to examine the importance of humility in our lives. Uh, Proverbs 11.2 says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Right? So we understand that with 
with wisdom and humility and the fear of the Lord, they're all connected. But I believe humility is the foundational starting point for us to build a relationship with God in which he is placed in a rightful position where he is feared appropriately. My first point is this, that if we are to grow in the fear of the Lord, we must shrink in our own eyes. Right? It's the mentality that that John the Baptist had, right? In John 3.30, that uh, I must decrease that he might increase. Or I like the way the New Living Translation puts it, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. I believe as we have an understanding of the Lord's worth and his majesty, we begin to view ourselves as a little less important than uh, maybe what we think we are. And now, I don't want this to come across as kind of self-deprivating or that you have no value or you have no worth because the Lord treasures you above anything else. It's the reason why he went to the cross. You are the joy that's set before him. There is immense value and immense worth to who you are as a person, but it's when we place an importance um, upon ourselves in our own eyes especially above other people and above the Lord, we cross over the, the boundary of, of being humble and into this state of pride. Right? We understand that pride is the kind of the source of sin, if you will. You can trace every, every kind of sin back to the place of pride. In fact, it's even before God created man, The first sin that ever took place before the Garden of Eden actually happened with an angel, not with a man, right? We understand Lucifer, his sin was pride. Lucifer, Satan, didn't always used to be the guy with the red pitchfork and the little horns. He's actually not that guy at all. Um, (laughs) But he didn't always used to be the devil. Or Does that make sense? No, that, that was a bad way of saying it. Satan hasn't always been the devil. (laughs) Before he was the devil, he was actually an angel. He was in charge of worship in heaven. And it was actually, uh, his sin was pride and he wanted the glory to come to him rather than to the Lord. He, He somehow decided that he was on par with the Lord. That he deserved some some accolades, and it was because of that that sin entered into his heart, and he was cast from the presence of the Lord and thrown and hurled down, and that's why we have the devil. And I I just was kind of thinking about that, and we're not going to get it too far down that road, but even before sin demolished the human race (laughs) and set us on a course of destruction and ultimately redemption by God's plan, We see pride um, being a problem even before our existence. That's crazy to think about. And I want you to understand that pride, right, was actually, I believe, the main cause of the fall in the garden. It was the tactic that the enemy used, right, in Genesis 3. That, don't you want to be like God? (laughs) Like, don't you want to... No good and evil like God. And uh, I believe 
it's important for us to understand our place. Understanding our role as creation, not creator. Not as this self-sufficient, all-powerful, carve-your-own-destiny kind of conqueror that society wants us to believe that we are. Right? That's, that's kind of what's, like, we, I read this book to my son last night, and I think it was, I mean, it was cutesy and whatnot, and it was probably well-meaning, but a lot, of the, a lot of the language in it was like, you're a conqueror, and you can do whatever you believe in, and believe in yourself, and figure it out, and you can accomplish it, right? And we're, being, we're kind of being fed that thought from a very early age, right? You can do anything. You want to be the president of the United States? You go be the president of the United States, right? Like, you, want, you have a beautiful voice. You want to sing on American Idol? You sing on American Idol. And friends, we need to stop lying to kids, I'm just saying because some kids, they're not going to be singing on American Idol. Find a, find a different giving. I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, I'm saying that not to kind of, not kind of to bring us down or, or ground us in reality, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that our confidence is often misplaced. It's important for us to understand that you actually can't do everything that you set your mind to, <laughs> right? I can set my mind really hard and say, you know what? I'm going to fly to Pluto tomorrow. I'm going to think about it really hard. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do. I believe in it. And at the end of the day, we all know I'm not going to make it to Pluto tomorrow, all right? Um, I say all of this because there's this... There's this idea if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, if you, if, if you put in enough effort that you can accomplish anything. And I believe that, I believe that there is a, a healthy work ethic and all of those things that I believe we, we should instill into people. But what that does is that sets us up for when we experience success, we can take credit for it. And right, if I work really hard and I, I grind nine to five and I put in, you know, my 60 hours a week that I can make a million dollars and I can lay claim to that. And can I tell you that kind of mentality is exactly one of the things that the Lord hates. He hates pride. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about humility, which I think on paper we all know and we check, hey, yeah, that's a, that's a positive attribute. Give me one of those, right? <laughs> I want to be humble. I want to walk in humility. But it's not exactly what society tells us we should do. It's not exactly what culture would perpetuate as, um, as foundational for us to succeed. In fact, I would say that even it combats it with the opposite. It was actually certainly true when Paul was writing his epistles, when he was talking about this thing of humility. Uh, you have to understand the Greek mindset of the day that humility was, was considered a disgrace. If you were to be considered humble, it was actually looked at as a trait that was negative and not desirable, right? It was all about what you could do in your own strength, how you could be, uh, how strong you could be, how rich you could be, how powerful you could be. And we understand through the teaching of Jesus 
that is not an appropriate way to live our lives. And so, as we talk about humility, we look at this verse, that humility is the fear of the Lord, or humility leads to the fear of the Lord, or because of humility, the fear of the Lord comes, its wages are riches and honor and life. So I want to take just a few moments here to kind of expound upon those three things before we continue forward. We look at riches, right? (laughs) Uh, We understand that these are not just physical riches, though I do believe it is appropriate to kind of take this in a financial aspect as well. That God does want to bless you financially. I believe that. I don't believe that that's a misrepresentation of the gospel. That's not, per, that's not kind of perpetuating this prosperity narrative um, that is uh, like just ridiculous and out of control. But there is simple truth that we reap what we sow. There is a truth that God does like to bless his people. There is the truth of scripture that he even says, test us or test him in this. That if we are faithful to provide the first fruit of our increase, right? And this is what we read about in Malachi chapter 3. As a result of Deuteronomy chapter 14, you know, we see this uh, consistent theme in Scripture. If we honor the Lord with our finances, that there is an increase that returns to us. It's something that we can expect. Um, Now, I do believe that God does know better than us. I believe in some instances that uh, he allows us to go without that he could receive glory. I don't believe that uh, I don't believe that we could just say we can't use this as some kind of magic formula. If you give God two dollars, he's going to give you twenty and uh, and just kind of take that. It, it, serving the Lord is not a get rich money scheme. Does that make sense? And I think some people have tried to boil it down to that. Um, But there is this aspect of if you honor the Lord, I believe that there is financial blessing that is reserved for you. I believe that that is something that we can examine throughout Scripture and see, and that is reserved for those who fear Him. But I believe greater and more important than that is that we know that there are riches that are so much better than what we could encounter here on the earth, right? That's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 6, right? Not John, it's Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. He says uh, in in his Sermon on the Mount that we're not to store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, right? But rather store up treasures for ourselves in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. There is this understanding that there are spiritual treasures, that there are heavenly treasures awaiting us. And uh, those that fear God, those that walk in humility are not going to be preoccupied by their balance in their bank account. Does that, does that make sense? That's something that is going to not be the driving motivation and driving factor for those that fear God and walk in humility. But um, I believe that there are spiritual riches and treasures that are laid up for us and that they are of greater value than what we could possibly ever encounter in the material. Does that make sense? And that's a promise for the Lord. And you can can rest assured in that, that that's good. You can't determine how you're going to serve God. 
You can't determine how you're going to live this life. You can't determine how much God is worth to you based upon uh, a number in your bank account. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's a, that's a promise though. Riches are promised to those that fear God and walk in humility. The second thing that is promised to those that fear God and walk in humility is honor. Now this one just started to blow my mind as I was thinking about this. Um, I don't know if anybody ever like has those, I think they call them shower thoughts, and you start thinking about something and it's just like, whoa, that is crazy. I, I don't understand that. And, you know, I had a shower thought the other day, um, and I, I've kind of said it a few times. But we look at something, and we would say, you know, this carpet up here is kind of pinkish, right? It's, it's pink-ish. It's not exactly pink. It's somewhere in between pink and purple, maybe lavender. Not really. It's not that far. But it's pinkish. You guys could agree with me? It's a little dirty. It's been here a while. It's kind of, yeah, or, or these chairs are bluish, right? Or it's kind of, it's warmish, right? We use the, the term ish when we say it's kind of like but not quite. It's somewhere in between, right? You guys ever thought about that? Right? No? So what about Jewish, right? You think about Americans, you think about Germans, uh, Europeans, it all ends with A-N-S, right? Why aren't they Jewins? Are they just kind of? I realize this is ridiculous, but this was my shower thought the other day, trying to figure out why are they, because I couldn't think of, maybe there, I'm sure there's another nationality that ends with ish when you're talking about them, but I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. Did you have one? Turkish. There we go. Never mind. We got one. We can move on. You don't have to. Polish. There we go. See, my mind was just stuck in one gear and I couldn't move out of it. That was my shower thought. That was our bunny trail. That was our rabbit trail. And we're going to get back on thought. But I had this crazy thought when I was thinking about honor. And it was kind of one of those things that just kept my wheels turning and I couldn't, I couldn't back out of it. Essentially, what God's saying here is if you walk in humility, you'll be honored. In fact, that's, a, that's kind of a, a perpetual theme that we encounter throughout Scripture. Proverbs 15.33 says that the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Oh, wow. Right? They're connected again. And before honor is humility. But if you walk in humility, then comes honor. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Jesus even talks about it, which we're not going to get to because I'm going to save it for something else. But there is this concept that if you walk in humility, that you're going to actually receive honor, right? Rather than honoring yourself, which is the opposite of humility, if you choose to walk in humbleness, the Lord in turn is going to honor you in, in term in honor you in both his sight and in the sight of others. This is crazy. So essentially what it's saying is that when you think small of yourself and big of your God, that both God and others will have a high respect and great esteem for you. It flips it on kind of, it's the inverse of it. That's really cool, isn't it? It's cool to think about. That's a promise for those that walk in humility and fear God. 
Now, the last one of these, the quick little tidbit here that is promised is life. I love that. So we, we encounter riches, we encounter honor, and we encounter life. Now, some translations simply sum this up as long life. Um, but that, that term there would be insufficient. Yes, we talked about this uh, when we talked about the blessings, how there's years added to our life. But it's more than just adding years to your life if you fear God. It's actually adding satisfaction, adding productivity, and making your life more abundant than it would be without him. And so we, we have to understand this, that, right, Jesus came that we could have life and life abundantly or life and life to the full. Or if you're in the message kind of remix kind of guy, life and life to the extreme or life to the max is what it says. That's what Jesus came to give us. And if we walk in humility and the fear of the Lord, we are promised life and life abundantly. Um, Proverbs 19.23 says that the fear of the Lord, again connected, leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction, and he will not be visited with evil. There is this promise of a rich and fulfilling and satisfying life for those that walk in humility and fear the Lord. It's really cool stuff, friends. It's really exciting. So point number one, that if we're going to grow in the fear of the Lord, we must shrink in our own eyes. Now, I want you to understand something. My second point here is that humility and confidence aren't opposites. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Humility and confidence aren't opposites. And I think in our society, uh, maybe our kind of frail understanding of what humility is, we can kind of polarize these two concepts or these two, um, these two character traits of humility and confidence, right? We understand that there are people that are overly confident in their abilities, right? Have we, has anybody ever met one of those people, especially when you're playing sports? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I can get that way when I'm playing Frisbee. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I got this. And then, you know, halfway through a game, I realized, man, I way overestimated my abilities. I cannot keep up with Tate Hinger. Nobody can. <laughs> Um, but with all of that being said, uh, I need you to understand that they're not opposed to one another. I want you to look at Jesus as an example, right? Jesus was 100% confident in who he was and what God had called him to do. Never once do we see Jesus apologizing for being who he was, right? We never see him once kind of um, second-guessing himself, or publicly berating himself or belittling himself in the sense of, oh, you know, I'm not sure, maybe I was just wrong. We don't see that kind of characteristic um, around the person of Jesus, but often I think we associate humility with those things. We associate humility where, oh, no, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, just a, I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm not important. I'm not a big deal. Or... We kind of publicly berate ourselves um, or talk less of ourselves. And that's actually not what humility is. That's not, speaking little of ourselves um, is not equivalent to humility. 
Actually, what that is, um, I believe it's probably an indicator of pride itself. But what it does is it actually demeans what God has created. I think a lot of the times we think of our worth and try to diminish our worth before the Lord, which actually brings his heart. Because we're the one that he went to die for. When I'm talking about humility and confidence, I'm talking in regard to our ability, not so much to our character or who God's created us to be. Does that make sense? We are to be confident. In fact, Scripture actually encourages that, encourages that again and again and again and again. It tells us to take courage, to be bold. There, there is this nature of being confident that exists for us. And with that being said, though, and we're talking about Jesus here as kind of the example, it wasn't confidence in himself that made Jesus who he was. It was confidence in the Lord. We understand that Jesus lived as a man. We actually talked, we understand that he kind of, he emptied himself um, and lived as we live. And I believe that his confidence wasn't in what he could accomplish as a man. It was a placed in who God was working through him. And uh, that's actually the warning that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 3, right? He says, make no confidence for the flesh. There, there, place no confidence in your flesh or confidence in your own abilities. Um, the, we have to understand that our confidence has to be rightly placed if we're going to remain humble. Psalm 118 tells us in verse 8 that it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. And then Romans 12, 13 goes on to say, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you each of this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Right? He's telling you guys to be humble. <laughs> this is Paul talking here. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Right? There's some extreme... That's, that language is helpful for me to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about humility. Paul is saying there that you shouldn't think better of yourself than you actually are. Gauge yourself appropriately. Be honest in your evaluation and recognize, man, you really aren't all that great. <laughs> but then this is the same Paul in the same letter that tells us that we're more than conquerors in Christ. Right? So how are we supposed to reconcile those differences? Well, are we supposed to give ourselves an honest evaluation and think of ourselves as we actually are? Or are we supposed to look at ourselves through Christ as more than conquerors? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes to both of those things. Um, I believe that it relies on where our confidence is placed and who our confidence is placed in. Um, I believe that we're called to be 100% humble and walk in complete humility just as Christ did and walk in complete confidence in who God is. And when our confidence is placed in him, that's an indicator that we fear him, that we trust him, that he's has an appropriate position in place in our life. And that way we can walk in a 100% certainty of who God created us to be and what he's called us to do 
and in complete humility all simultaneously. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me there? And then very simply, in conclusion, so my first two points, first point was that if we are going to grow in the fear of the Lord, we have to shrink in our own eyes. Second point is that humility and confidence aren't opposites, that we actually, uh, actually, I believe if you're going to walk in humility, you'll have to be confident, and it's, it's confidence that's placed in the Lord. And my last point is that we need to imitate Christ's humility. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read a good portion of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 3. It says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. And I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Friends, do everything Paul said here. That would be how I would preach what Paul just preached. Because <laughs> I can't really add to it and make it better. <laughs> but I think it's so packed full and it's so rich of giving us an example of what humility looks like, right? We point to Jesus as the example here. Notice the pattern. As Jesus humbles himself, right? He, he humbles himself out of, out of divinity. He comes as a man. But think about this. He doesn't come just as any man, right? He, comes, he doesn't come as a fully mature king or prince. He doesn't come as an angel at first, right? That's the first kind of step he didn't come as. But he came as a man, came as you and I, brought it to our level, but didn't come in prestige. He didn't come as a king or as a ruler fully grown. He came as a baby. 
born to poor people (laughs) and lived in obscurity for 30 years in a humble trade, right? God of all the universe. He could have been a master craftsman of anything. He could have been the coolest dude on the planet. And in humility, he came and lived life. And then not only to that point, he died, right? He humbly came to live life as you and I and succumb to death. But not even natural death, right? (laughs) Where, you know, we get old and we die or maybe we get hit by a car or something like that. He dies a criminal's death. Death on a cross. You think of humility being demonstrated. Christ is the perfect example of making oneself low as an example to us to see how God might exalt one that humbles oneself. Right? Immediately, the the rest of this kind of portion of Scripture in verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He results in a place of exaltation because of Christ's humility. But let's just examine here verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. What would society look like if we took that simple verse and made it true in our lives? Where we look to other people's as other people as better than ourselves. If everyone subscribed to this mentality and thought of each person as better than themselves, we would live in a society where no one is looked down upon and everyone is looked up to. How crazy is that to think about? Maybe let's boil it down. Society isn't going to embrace that ever. But what about in the church? What if we refuted the mentality that, you know what, because I've been saved for 67 years, and I've been in church longer than all of y'all, and I've paid more tithe than anybody else, that I somehow have a position and I belong to be here, rather than the kid that doesn't know anything about Jesus that showed up uh, just recently and gave his life to the Lord. What if we could walk in a sense and a pattern of such humility that we look to other people as better than ourselves? We would establish a culture where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down upon. That'd be really cool. I really believe a great detriment to the gospel going forth in community, and I'm not talking about in this church in particular, but has been a sense of arrogance and pride an entitlement that exists to um, a generation of believers that somehow believe that, you know what, uh, we've earned our place. We've earned our position, you know, because we've been faithful. I, I really don't sense that from anybody here this morning. But I have been in congregations. I've been in services where that has very much been the mentality, and it's heartbreaking to the Lord, I believe. command of scripture is that we wouldn't have a mentality of us being better than anybody else. 
Because we understand we've all are saved by grace. That without the work of Jesus in our life, none of us would be in the position that we are today. Examining the end of this passage of Scripture and why it's important that we would model Christ's example of humility and fulfill these things that Paul is talking about here. Remember, he's writing this from a prison cell. <laughs> just, just take note of that. But in verse 12, it says, Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the result of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Some translations talk about work out your faith with fear and trembling. And it's immediately preceded by walking in obedience. And it's important to note that humility will manifest obedience in one's life. Humility will manifest obedience Right? That's one of the things that we talk about. That's why it's so closely connected with wisdom and the fear of the Lord because they all come back to this place of are we being obedient to the Lord's instruction and the Lord's will for our life. And if we're walking in humility, and it's important for us to model Christ's example of humility because that is what's going to pave the way for obedience to the word of God and his will for us in our life, right? That's, we read that uh, in verse 8, that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God. I wonder, friends, how much our disobedience to what the Lord has asked us to do has to deal with pride. That I can do it better, or you know what, what God said there, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to the crackhead down the street. Right? Have any of you guys ever been in service and been like, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that? Can I tell you, as a pastor, it happens far too often for me. <laughs> it's like, man, Susie should have been here. She needed to hear that word from the Lord. And I realized, oh, man, I probably Pride, guys, not a good thing. And I believe this, it's an impossible to have a life of obedience. It is impossible for obedience to manifest in someone's life if it's hindered by pride. A prideful person will be disobedient to the Lord because he will always think that his way is better. The second thing that humility enables us to do is it enables God to work in us. Right? Verse 13 here says, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Humility paves the way for God to work in us and the promises that he's going to give and equip us with everything necessary to please him. That's awesome. That should make you shout. That's an exciting thing. That's like a celebratory thing that God wants to work in us. He doesn't just want to accomplish his purpose. He doesn't just want to fulfill his work. How many of you guys know God doesn't need you? Everybody say this. God does not need me. But he wants you. That's cool. 
That is so cool. God could do whatever he wanted anytime, however, but the theme throughout scripture and all of humanity is that he wants to partner with you. He wants to use you, right? How many of you guys know God doesn't need your money? (laughs) He doesn't, but he loves to partner with you. He loves to partner with us. He loves to work through us because he loves to have relationship with us. That's really cool to me, friends. That's really exciting. And humility, when we recognize that I'm that God doesn't need me, that God doesn't, uh, like my abilities, just because, you know what? I am the best preacher that has ever preached. God is going to use me to transform the world. God can't do jack with that, friend. (laughs) Can I tell you that? Or maybe somebody has a beautiful voice, and because I have the voice of angels, I don't, so I'm not going to try to sing here that I have been destined to be the next great worship leader for all of humanity. God can't do jack with that. He's got to break those kind of things off of us before he can use us. But when we're walking in humility, it paves the way and enables God to do a work in us and work through us that brings about glory to him and it pleases him. And that's really cool, friends. But the last thing that humility does in the midst of all of this, it, right, it, it manifests obedience in our lives. It positions us in such a place that God can work through us for his glory and that he'll actually equip us with the desire and the power, right? How many of you guys have ever just had the desire not to sin, but you feel like you just can't do it? It's like, God, I really don't want to let you down, but I just blow it all the time. When we were walking in humility and we realize it's not us and it's not our ability that we're super saints, we get the desire to do right, but also the equipment from the Holy Spirit to do right. That's really cool. And I believe it comes by way of humility. But the last thing that humility does is it sets us apart as the people of God to bring glory to his name. It sets us apart. That's why Paul says in verses 14, is where he starts, that we're to do everything without complaining and arguing. Because this world is bent on entitlement, and it's bent on this place of frustration, and everything around us, we hear complaints. How many of you guys have ever stood in line, especially over a holiday weekend, maybe you were going to get a coffee or you're just at the store, and you can hear people complaining about Pagosa? I mean, I, I was at... I, I was at City Market yesterday picking up something. I was picking up corn for dinner. And there was a long line coming out of our little Starbucks kiosk of complaining about how slow it was. And just like, this is ridiculous. And you saw people like getting out of line and whatnot. There's like one poor kid working in the back trying to keep up with everybody. It's just a, such a sense of entitlement. We live in a place that is bent on complaining. <laughs> And arguing. And so Paul says to do everything, everything, even the cruddy stuff, right? Like you're out digging up a sewer line or something like that. You should do it without arguing and you should do it without complaining so that no one can criticize you. Even when it's probably entitled, even when it's probably an okay time 
to complain about something, even when it sucks real bad. I just said sucks in a sermon. I'm sorry. Uh, even though when it like is really bad, <laughs> uh, we we still don't have a right to complain because we are instructed to live beyond a pro- reproach and not have anybody have anything to hold against us. But we're to live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked, crooked, <laughs> crooked and perverse people. We have this promise, that humility, because when we're walking in humility and we lose our sense of entitlement, we lose the desire or we lose this sense of complaining and arguing that actually positions us to shine brightly before man in a quick, in a crooked, <laughs> in a crooked and perverse generation that we actually bring glory to God in the midst of it. And friends, I believe this is just, guys, scripture talks so much on what humility actually is. But according to the word of God, Proverbs 22, 4, that humility is the fear of the Lord. And its wages are riches and honor and life. And I strongly believe, friends, as we grow, we have this desire to grow in the fear of the Lord, we're going to grow in humility as well. Very simple way to phrase it is as God gets bigger in our lives, as we kind of magnify him, right? We, we, use, that, we use that term in, in like church all the time. We magnify your name, right? It's literally talking about we're going to like place a magnifying glass up to the Lord. <laughs> and we're going to make him bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's going to be more important and more important and more important and overshadow everything about me. And as he gets bigger, and as our view of God gets bigger, we realize, we realize how insignificant our abilities actually are. How insufficient we are at sustaining ourselves. And it further reveals the need for dependence on him, which is what he loves. So I want to reiterate a couple things. I'm not talking about our worth or our value here this morning. I'm talking about our ability. Because I never want us to have kind of this self-deprecating thought of, you know, we're worth nothing. You were worth the cross. (laughs) You were worth it all. (laughs) Jesus thought so. But we can't let that elevate us to a place where we say, you know what, we got this figured out. I can do this in my own strength. I can do this in my own understanding. I can do this with my own ability. That is what robs us. That is what, that is what we would classify as pride of everything that God has for us. Humility is so important to the heart of God. And it's so important to us walking in the fear of the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're good. Lord, I'm asking for my friends and myself included, Lord, that you would help us grow in humility. Lord, that the fear of the Lord might come. Lord, would you help us place things in right perspective, God? Lord, not out of a place of 
uh, of just self-deprecation. Lord, uh, not out of a place of just berating us, but Lord, we want to have a healthy view of how you see us. And Lord, that we might be able to place our confidence in you and you alone. We love you and we thank you. And I'm asking, Lord, as a result of us growing in humility, as us modeling Christ, Lord, that we would see these things transpire, Lord, that we would see an increase in obedience in our life. Lord, that we would see, Lord, you at work within us, Lord, giving us desire to please you, but also equipping us with the power to please you. Lord, setting us apart as bright, shining lights. Lord, that would bring glory to you in the midst of a people that is broken. Lord, the people that are desperate. Lord, that you might receive what is rightfully yours. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.